good Sunday morning. I was going to say Monday morning. I am totally lost, right? This rain and dreariness has got me all a mess. Man, it's so good to see you this morning. My name is Andrew. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, hey, I want to take a second to celebrate something. I just got um, some news before, before the service that this past week between uh, Food for the Soul, which we do every Monday evening uh, here at the church at 6 p.m., um, that uh, Love, Serve, Give, which is something we do on the second uh, Sunday of every month. We go feed uh, folks over in Camden. Uh, and Sacks of Love, which are uh, our bags of food that we provide for uh, hungry kids over the weekend um, through our school system. Between all those things, this past week we served over 90 folks. And so I'm excited about that. Can we give God some praise for that? Um, I love how God is using us, how God is using you and our church, and so uh, I just wanted to give him some uh, praise this morning for that. We are in week number three of the series, Crushed, because the idea is that pain and disappointment hits all of us. None of us can avoid that, uh, and so because we have to deal with our spirits being crushed from time to time, how do we, how do we deal with that? And I want to do what I did last week and share a proverb, okay? So there's a lot of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. In, in Proverbs 17, 22, I think this is a good verse for us to pay attention to. It says, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Okay, so a, a joyful heart, when you experience joy in your heart, it's like good medicine. All right, it's, it's better than any medication. It's more effective than essential oils. Woo, did I just go there? <laughs> Joyful heart is like good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. In other words, when, when you deal with your spirit being crushed, man, you, you feel it in your bones, right? It goes beyond just a physical outward thing. It, it, it affects your spirit. And so a joyful heart, I've just been thinking about that, and, and this has been a heavy series, and this is, is dealing with disappointment and, uh, and all that, and so I want to try to, for just the next minute, give us a, uh, an opportunity to have a joyful heart, okay? This is a lame attempt to do that, but I want you to watch this video for the next minute, all right? How do I relax? Well, like many other Americans, uh, I come home and I, I pet my dog. You see, petting your dog is one of the most relaxing things you can possibly do. It releases a hormone called oxytocin, which reduces stress. Also, it lowers your heart rate and it lowers your blood pressure. Plus, people who pet their dogs are five times more likely to live longer than people who just have cats. Plus, the dogs like it so much, and it's a nice bonding experience. That's right. Good daddy's little boy. Daddy's little boy. Daddy's little boy. That's right. Okay, we're done. <laughs> so you want a joyful heart, go home and pet your dog, right? Um, the theme verse for this whole series is Psalm 34, 18, which says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. And that's such an important truth to hold on to. Because when you feel alone, you feel hopeless. 
But if, if you and I can know that in our, our condition of having a broken heart and a crushed spirit, that the Lord is near, we can find hope in that. And there's another truth that he says in this verse is that not only is he near, but he saves the crushed in spirit. Now, here's the problem. is sometimes when we go through difficulty and we go, okay, if the Lord is able to save the crushed in spirit, he's near and he's actually able, why is he not saving me from what I'm going through? Is he near and able? He's just choosing not to? And for some of us, actually all of us, our assumption, what we, what we expect, what we want when we go through difficulty is what we want is immediate deliverance from struggle, right? I mean, I don't think there's one of us that would say, no, I kind of like to linger in my disappointment, right? We want to get out of it. We want to move through it. And if God doesn't pro- provide immediate deliverance, sometimes we're tempted to say, well, God doesn't really care. Or maybe he's not really close. Or maybe he's just not strong enough to actually make my difficulty go away. And so sometimes we question God's love and God's power for us. And, you know, really the reality is we all want to get through struggle as quickly as we can. It reminds me of of my daughter Blakeney who uh, earlier this year when she was five years old, she was working through like this activity kind of workbook and she was going through this maze. And, and, I, and it reminded me of how we kind of deal with struggle in our life. So this, this is kind of what it looks like, right? We kind of start into it, and we go, uh, no, 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 I'm going to finish this. I'm going to go straight to the end, right? We, like, I love this. This is, this is how we all feel, right? Like, get me out of the mess of this maze. Get me to the finish, right? This is how we deal with struggle. We want to get through it or around it or out of it as quickly as possible, my question this morning for us is this. What if there was actually pain or purpose in the pain? What if there was purpose in the pain? What if God actually wanted to use the struggle that we deal with for a bigger purpose in our lives? That's the question. What if the best place for us to be was not outside of struggle? What if the best place for us was actually in the thick of it, with Jesus next to us. And that's what I want us to think about this morning. We're going to look at Psalm 138. And really the bottom line this morning is is this. Our suffering is part of our sanctification. Our suffering is part of our sanctification. Now, that word sanctification isn't a word that we use every day, but it's it's a Bible word, so let me define it for you. This is an important word for us to know. The word sanctification literally just means set apart. Okay, so sanctification is, is, is this process of being set apart from our old ways of living and set apart to God, set apart to following him and living in his ways. It, it, it speaks to this process of growing in our faith. Okay, this, this process of what God is doing and conforming us to the image of Jesus. And so salvation is when we put our faith in Christ, he cleanses us of our sin. Okay, and, and, and this happens just like birth. It happens in a, in a moment when we put our faith in Christ. But then every day and every moment from then on is this process of sanctification, growing to become more and more like Jesus. It's growing in our faith, growing spiritually. And so our suffering, if we will let, up, if we will let it, will actually help us to get further down the road towards the goal. Well, what is the goal? It's to look more like Jesus. And I would say this, for a lot of us, that may not be 
our goal for our life. But listen, if you are a child of God, I promise you that is God's purpose for you and for me. It's for us to look more and more like Jesus. It's not to come through a carefree, pleasurable life. It's to look more like Jesus through all of it. And so I want, I want, to, I want us to look at Romans 8, which is a, a familiar passage to a lot of us. Okay, let me, let me read Romans 8, verse 28. It says this. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Here's what, what it's saying. That everything that goes on in our life, good, bad, and ugly, works, God is working it together for our good. Now, now let me say this. A bit of wise counsel for you, okay? When you're speaking to somebody who's going through the thick of, of difficulty and struggle, I would not bring this verse up, all right? Because it doesn't always go over well. When you're in the thick of, of difficulty, we don't always hear, oh, God is going to use this for good. We're just thinking, well, this isn't good right now, right? This is one of those truths that is so good and so true when you look in the rearview mirror and you're able to look back on your life and go, okay, now I see how God was working everything together for my good. And he used this. And this is such a, a good truth to hold on to. But I think what happens is, is a, lot of, a lot of times we miss the next verse, which is just as important. Verse 29 says this, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In other words, what he's saying is, God is working all things together for our good in order to conform us to the image of his son. So listen, everything that we go through is not good, but God uses it for our good to make us look more and more like Jesus. This is what our sanctification is all about. And so in Psalm 138, I want us to, to read through Psalm 138. It's, it's eight verses long. We're going we're gonna to read through the first six verses and then kind of settle in on the last two. Psalm 138, and this is coming from David. Okay, this is it's one of the psalm writers uh, and a guy after God's own heart, God used in incredible ways. And what's happening in this psalm is, is David has kind of come out of struggle, all right? And he's kind of looking back in the rear view. And he's, this is a, a psalm of thanksgiving and praise. So he's thanking God for what he's done and how he's delivered him, okay? And so in Psalm 138, and I think for a lot of us, okay, maybe you're outside of a season of struggle. This is the best time for you to be able to settle in your heart that, God is using everything in my life to conform me to his image. Okay, so Psalm 138, verse number one, David says this, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. So you know what he's, he's doing? He's, he's acknowledging that there's, there's all kinds of gods and there's all kinds of idols that are worshipped, but he's saying, you are the king of kings and I'm worshipping you and I'm giving you thanks before all the gods that exist. God, I'm giving you thanks. Verse 2, I, I bow down towards your holy temple, and I give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Okay, again, he's looking back, and he's seeing God's love and his faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. So, again, David is saying, when I, when I, in my day of struggle, in my time of need, I called on you and you answered me. And the way that you answered me was you, you increased the strength of my soul. Like he's the only one that can increase 
the strength of your soul, that can strengthen your soul, all right? And he says, this is what you did. On the day I called you, answered me, my strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. The haughty or the, the proud, he knows from afar. And the way that I, I think of this is, the, the scriptures talk about this, that when we are haughty, that when we're proud, man, God is, is far away. Okay, he's not near. He's far away. Why? Because your head and your ego are too big. And so he steps back and he says, I, I, I know you from afar. But when you are lowly, when you are humble, he says, man, I, I, I regard your state. I care about where you're at. That's why Psalm 34 says that he is near the brokenhearted. Why? Because when we are brokenhearted, when we are crushed in spirit, man, we, we lack pride, right? We are humble. We need God. And he says he's near. So verse 7 and 8, which is what I really want to focus on here, it's talking about his time of trouble, okay? Verse number 7. And I want to see us, want us to see three things here. And, and if, if you're following along with, with, on the note sheet or in the Bible app, you'll see these three things listed. They're not going to be on the screens, okay? So, so keep with me. Three things I want to see here. Verse number 7, he says this. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. So, so here's the first thing I want us to see, that David is declaring to God. You sustain me through trouble. You sustain me through trouble. Okay, he, he says that though I walk in the midst of trouble, okay, he, he's, he's not talking about getting outside of or getting around trouble, Though I'm in the midst of trouble, I'm walking right through the middle of it. That's what he says. And it reminds me of, of Psalm 23. If you're familiar with Psalm 23, a great psalm, Psalm of David, says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Are you familiar with it? Verse 4, he says, Even though I walk around the valley, that's, that's not what he says, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. You are with me. When I walk through the valley, when I walk in the midst of trouble, I, I'm not going to fear because you are with me. You have come alongside me. And what David says here in Psalm 138 is that you sustain me in the midst of trouble. He says that you preserve my life. Okay, some translations, instead of the word preserve, it uses the word revive. In either case, the, the meaning of this word is you give me life. You keep me alive. Right? You sustain me in the midst of, of trouble. You are with me and you, you sustain me. You give me life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand delivers me. So whenever you see throughout the scripture, see over and over, the, the Bible talks about the hand or the arm, the outstretched arm of the Lord. And it always is referring to his strength and his power. All right? And what it says here, what David declares is that your hand Man, it, 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 it's, you stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. So your powerful hand, it strikes down the enemy. And it's also that same hand that saves me, that delivers me, that keeps me alive, 
this hand of power. And so David declares, Lord, in the midst of trouble, through trouble, you sustain me. You keep me alive. Your hand, man, it keeps the enemy from me, and it, it saves me. It delivers me. You sustain me through trouble. But then I love what he says in, in verse number 8 here. He goes on and he says, the Lord will fulfill his what? His purpose for me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. So there's an, a couple incredible things you see here. Okay, he says, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. You know what this tells me? You know what this tells us? That the Lord has a purpose for you and for me. He has a plan and he has a purpose for you. And he says that he will fulfill it. He will accomplish it. Now here, listen to this. The reality is that the Lord's plans and his purposes for you and for me, his plans and purposes are not always our plans and our purposes, right? They're not always the same. But what we find here is that the Lord has a purpose for you, and he will fulfill it. He will fulfill it. It's not like the second we, we walk into struggle or disappointment that the Lord all of a sudden kind of forgets about us and steps away, or he, he like steps off to take a nap, and he goes, oh, wait, wait, oh, I forgot. I forgot that you're going through this. No, no, no. He will fulfill his purpose for you. And he says at the end of this verse, he says, do not forsake the work of your hands. Here's the reality. He's not going to forsake the work of his hands. You know what the work of his hands is? It's you. It's me. And again, this, this language again about his hands, the same hand that delivers, delivers us from the enemy, the same hand that upholds us and saves us, is the same hand that is at work, that is working out his purpose in your life and in my life. Don't, don't forsake the work of your hands. And the reality is, he's not going to forsake the work of his hands. And this reminds me of an incredible verse in, in, in Philippians 1, verse 6, where Paul says, hey, I'm sure of this. I, I know this to be true. That he who began a good work in you, he who started a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to be faithful to finish what he started. He's not going to give up. Listen, he is not through with you. And he's going to fulfill his purpose for you. He's not going to forsake the work of his hands. And sometimes when we get in the midst of struggle and disappointment, we feel like he's taking his hands off, Right? that he's forgotten, that he stepped away, and that he's no longer working. He's left us on our own to figure things out and to fight through struggle. And what David recognized after coming out of struggle was, you are still at work, and you're not going to forsake the work of your hands. In fact, you may be more at work in my struggle than at any other time. And I know you're working, and you're going to fulfill your purpose for me. And so he says, you sustain me through trouble. You will fulfill your purpose for me. And here's, here's the third thing that he says, is that it's all because your steadfast love endures forever. 
Your steadfast love endures forever. If you look back at verse number eight, he says, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. And in the midst of this, he says, your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. It's like in the midst of this prayer, in the midst of this, this statement by David, he just kind of steps back again and goes, man, God, your love is steadfast, endures forever. And again, we see this all throughout the Psalms, the psalmist declaring the steadfast love of the Lord. You know what that's all about? This means that this is a never gives up, never runs out kind of love that God has for us. It never gives up and it never runs out. The reason, listen, the reason that, that, that he sees us through trouble, that he sustains us through trouble, is because he loves us. Because his steadfast love for you endures forever never runs out, never given up. The reason, listen, that he will fulfill his purpose for you is because his steadfast love for you endures forever. Never gives up. It never runs out. And so the reason he does all of this, the reason he sustains us, the reason that he's working out his purposes and his plan in our lives is because his steadfast love for you and for me never runs out and never gives up and this is why God is working 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 and so what do we do what do we do based on all this okay he he sustains us through trouble he's working out his purpose he will fulfill his purpose for us it's all because his steadfast love for us endures forever what what do we do what do we do based on all this? Let me, let me give you one big action step. Right? One thing that we, we should do with this. Surrender to God in your suffering and let him sanctify you. Surrender to God in your suffering and let him sanctify you. Let him grow you. Because here's, here's what happens a lot of times for us. When we go through disappointment and we go through struggle, when we are disappointed, we don't tend to surrender to God in that moment. We tend to fight against, right? To buck against him. To fight what we're going through. To try to get out at all costs, right? Because we think pain is not part of his purpose for me. Pain is something I want to escape and listen, sometimes what we do when we try to escape pain, when we try to escape suffering, is we actually short-circuit God's plans and purposes and God's work in our life because he's trying to grow us through the suffering. And in the midst of pain, he is trying to save us and sanctify us. And so here's what I'm challenging us to do is not Try to move out of it, not fight against it, but surrender to God in the midst of it and say, God, I'm going to let you do your work in me through this season of suffering. I don't get it. I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. It's not fun. But God, I know, listen, I know that you are fulfilling your purpose for me, even in the midst of this, even in the middle of this. And I want us to look at, at another passage in, in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Because here's, here's the idea is, 
is we want to come out of suffering looking more like Jesus and not less. And if we don't surrender and submit and let him sanctify us through it, we can come through suffering and look less like Jesus because we've kicked and screamed and fought against his purpose in our life. And our desire is, is for us to look more like Jesus. And I want, to, I want us to look at Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 10, because what Paul does is, is, is Paul says in the New Testament that, hey, everything that happened to the nation of Israel, to God's people, everything that they experienced was written and recorded in the scriptures for our example. In other words, God puts them down in his book so that we would learn from and grow from what the nation of Israel went through. And this is a pretty monumental experience in the life of the nation of Israel. What happened, to give you the 15-second the, the version, is God's people were in slavery, in bondage in Egypt. And God, with, with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, he rescues them. He, he delivers them out of slavery, and his intention is to bring them into what he calls the promised land. This incredible place that, that, where life is full. What, this is his intention for them. And so what was intended to be, what was really in, in all reality, an 11-day journey out of Egypt into the promised land didn't end up taking 11 days. You know how long it took? 40 years. 40 years, all right? That sounds some of, like some of you without GPS, right? This 15-minute <laughs> this drive took an hour. This is, this is what happened. 11 days to 40 years. What happened to make that journey take so long? And what we find in Deuteronomy chapter 8 is Moses talking to the people of God. He's the spokesperson from God. And they're on the doorstep of entering into the promised land. And he kind of retraces their steps and reminds them of what has happened up to this point. And so Deuteronomy chapter 8 says this. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. So his intention for you is to bring you into this incredible land so you would live and multiply and you go in and possess this land, okay? And he swore this to your father, so he's going to do it. Verse number two. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, okay? And we talk about this time in the desert or in the wilderness. They're wandering, wandering, wandering over and over, okay? He says, he led you these 40 years that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you, and he let you hunger, and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. And I don't know about you, but if you were walking in the same shoes for 40 years, I mean, those are some pretty high-quality shoes, right? That your feet aren't swelling, like those, the, your clothes are, are not, like, tearing up. But he says there's, there's something supernatural that was happening here. As he led you these 40 years, there was supernatural provision going on here. He says, verse 5, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. 
here's the story. Here's what's going on. Here's the reason this took 40 doggone years to get to the promised land. It's because over and over, God says, I was, I was humbling you and I was testing you. In other words, I wanted to see what was in your heart. Would you actually obey me or not? And you know what happened? God would give instruction to just say, hey, if you would just follow me, if you would just follow my ways, man, you're going right into this promised land. It's going to be an amazing thing for you. He tests him. What did they do? Did they pass? No. They failed. And he tests them again. And they did what? They failed. And he tests them. And they failed. And he tests them. And they failed. Over and over and over. For 40 years, he's testing them. And they're failing. I mean, don't, don't you wish that some of your teachers were that patient with you? Right? I mean, I sometimes wish that for my kids. <laughs> that they're like test after test, failure after failure. And there's this grace extended over and over for 40 years like would you just obey me would you just follow my ways and yet over and over they're going their own way but I want you to see this in verse 7 through 10 here is the intention of the Lord as he's trying to direct them and test them and humble them for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land a land of brooks of water. Listen to the description of this land. A land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and, and hills. A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates. A land of olive trees and honey. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. And this carb-loving carb loving boy is like, amen, that sounds like the promised land, right? I can eat bread all day long. And he says, this is the place I'm bringing you into, a land in which you will lack nothing. You will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper and you shall eat and be what? Full. And you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Here's what he says. Listen, my people, I'm, I've got good plans for you. I've got good intentions for you. I'm trying to lead you out of bondage. I'm trying to bring you into a good land that is full, that's overflowing, and you're going to bless me because of how good it is. You're going to bless me, and I just want to bring you into this, and so I'm testing you. I want to see what's in your heart. I want to see what comes out. When you're tested, are you going to follow me? Are you going to trust me? Are you going to walk with me? Because listen, I want to bring you into a good place. And even though, man, I'm going to let you hunger because you're going after all these things. I'm going to let you be hungry. But guess what? I'm going to feed you even in the midst of your struggle. Why? Because I want to teach you to depend on me to get your sustenance, to be sustained by me. And so I'm going to let you struggle. I'm going to let you hunger. Why? Because I want you to learn to depend on me, to find all of your worth in me, to be sustained by my strength and not your strength. Why? Because I want to bring you into a good place. This is what I want to do. And so listen, listen this morning. I don't know if you're going through struggle. I don't know, but here's what I know. He doesn't want to destroy you. He doesn't want 
to crush your spirit. In fact, he is in the process of saving you and sanctifying you and fulfilling his purpose for your life. What you are going through is not a diversion from what he is trying to accomplish in your life. He wants to use what you are going through to make you more like Jesus. Listen, he doesn't cause everything good or bad to happen in your life. He allows things, and he does it for his purpose in your life. And if we could step back, and I know this is hard. I know this isn't easy, especially if we're going through the thick of it. But if we can learn in our life that what God is doing, how God is working things together, it's for the purpose of making us more like Jesus. It is part of our sanctification. It's not a divergence from our sanctification. It's part of it. Our suffering is part of it. And so here's what I'm calling us to do, is surrender to God in our suffering and let him, let him sanctify us. Let him grow us. And here's the amazing thing. That suffering that we go through, like Jesus understands it. He's gone before us. He has suffered for us. I want us to see Isaiah 53, verses 3 to 5. It says this. Speaking of Jesus, this is a prophecy about the coming Messiah. And it says that he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He knows what we're going through. He's acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces... He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Don't miss this, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was what? Crushed for our iniquities. He was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Listen, y'all, he was crushed for your sins so that you wouldn't have to be crushed by it. He endured suffering on a whole nother level than we could ever experience so that in our suffering, he could walk with us and encourage us and strengthen us and bear our sorrows and take our struggle upon himself. He has got a purpose in the pain for you. And he will bring good from it if we will surrender to him in our suffering. Listen, don't waste your suffering. Don't waste your suffering. Let God do his work in you through it. I want to share a quote with you from one of my favorite dead guys, all right? An old theologian named Charles Spurgeon, who was referred to as the Prince of, of Preachers. And he said this, he said, fiery trials make golden Christians. Fiery trials make golden Christians. And so here's the comparison. Like gold that's refined and purified through, through the fire, through this refining process, fiery trials, what we go through is this fire is refining us 
and it's purifying us and it's making us into gold. It's part of God's process of sanctifying us if we will let it do its work, if we will surrender to God in our suffering and let him do his work in us. Let me share one more passage just as a, a kind of final encouragement to us, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse, verse 7. Paul says this, and if you miss everything else, I want you to cling to this passage, all right? 2 Corinthians 4, starting verse number 7, says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay, speaking of, of ourselves and in our bodies, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not what? But not crushed. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but man, we're not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested, may be shown off, made clear in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. As we live, we're always being given over to death. We're always experiencing suffering. It's part of living in a broken body, in a broken world. We, are, we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that, here's the purpose here, so that the life of Jesus also may be made manifest or, or, or made clear, put on display in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Here's what it says, that through our suffering. Through our suffering. Okay, listen. Jesus experienced suffering. It was part of God's plan for him. We will experience suffering. But if we will surrender to God in our suffering, God will use that to make manifest, to show off through our dying, through our suffering, the life of Jesus through our lives. And listen, in our suffering, are people going to see our pain and our dying, or are they going to see the life of Jesus come bursting through? Listen, he doesn't want to crush us. He wants to use us, and he wants to grow us, and he wants to sanctify us. And so y'all, let's surrender to him in the midst of that and let him use it for his glory's sake. Amen. So Father, this morning we approach you in humility. We approach you knowing that you are God with a strong and mighty outstretched hand. That same hand that delivered the children of Israel through the Red Sea. That same strong arm that desire to bring them into a good, full, rich, overflowing land is that same hand that's at work in our lives. And Lord, we know this morning, God, even for some of us in the midst of struggle, God, we confess, we acknowledge, we surrender 
to the truth that you are still at work and that your desire is to bring us into, to deliver us out of bondage and out of struggle and into a good land where we'll be full, where we'll lack nothing because you are there because you are with us and because you are working out your plan in our life. And so, Lord, I pray for every one of us in this room that is enduring struggle. Would you strengthen our souls? Would you help us to know that we are afflicted on every side and yet we're not crushed because you are upholding us, you are sustaining us, you are fulfilling your purpose for us. And it's because of your steadfast love for us that endures forever. So, Lord, this morning we surrender ourselves to that steadfast love that is at work, even now, even now. So, Lord, thank you. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we continue to worship?